I like real food and real people. And I'm not I'm not patient with either one of those when they're fake. So um, that's a little bit of my background. Um, you know, I feel very privileged that um, I was able to um, overcome that and uh, make a life for myself. Right, and this book is, is so powerful. Um, like I said, the, the counselor that helped me the most was a, was a guy who was an expert at, at couples counseling. He actually counseled both me and my wife. And, and uh, I have a similar background to you. I just didn't know how to do intimacy. I was so locked up in my own world. I was so afraid to stick my heart out there without it getting trampled on. I actually, my mom was divorced, and I've had a few stepfathers since that, and uh, a stepmother who was probably not the real safest place to put my heart growing up. And I just learned this, um, kind of like putting a turtle shell over my heart and not you know, letting anybody in. And uh, it's funny, this, this is the note I wrote that I wrote in counseling, my eyes full of tears. I'm not a real note taker, but I wrote this down. I said, my wife needs all of me, and I want to give her my heart. And that was probably the statement that I wrote down that really helped me start to heal. And it's so weird how sexual um, behavior is so attached to intimacy. Yes, and dysfunctional sexual behavior is attached to difficulties with intimacy. Um, let me also just define for our listeners what we're talking about in terms of intimacy. It's really very simple, but not to be confused with easy. Simple is that we have all the time a dialogue that goes on internally. Um, it's called thinking. We have thoughts, we have feelings, and intimacy is simply sharing that internal um, life that you have with someone else. Taking a chance of becoming what I consider figuratively naked. That means easy to take off your clothes, but how about keeping your clothes on and getting emotionally naked with someone? That's, that takes courage, actually. And that's really a, a bottom line. It, it's about courage. To be able to reveal yourself because um, you are then having to deal with your vulnerability uh, you could, you could, and it happens with people. You could reveal yourself, and uh, someone will say, "You know, like you're nuts. I don't want to have anything to do with you." There's a chance you take. Right. If you, don't, if you don't take that chance, I think there's a bigger risk, and that is, um, even if you are um, liked by someone, basically you're going to tell yourself, "Well, they're buying my act. They don't, they don't really know me. If they knew me, maybe they wouldn't feel that way." Exactly. And I also wanted to say something for the listeners out there. If you're single and you listen to this show, we're talking a lot about a couple stuff here, but, you know, like Dr. Block says, it's real easy to get um, physically naked with someone. You know, that doesn't take a whole lot of courage. But, uh, you know, getting into that new relationship and actually being able to get emotionally naked with something, that's a bit scary for a lot of folks. So I encourage uh, single folks to, to really hone in and, and get the book as well, you know, because it's, it's important talking about this stuff, especially if you have uh, intimacy issues. Well, what I see also is, and first of all, even people who are single, they're going to be, uh, relationships are everything, because they're going to be in a relationship. Um, um, you have relationships with people you work with. Uh, if you go, if you read a book, it's about relationships. If you go to the movies, it's about relationships. Uh, it's all about relationships. So what I look at is, I walk into a restaurant, and I see people there, um, and, then, and I can tell who's married. 
a lot of people were married. They already talked about the kids. They already gossiped about this or that. And uh, now they're looking past each other. And I see people who are dating. There's much more energy there. But those people who are dating, after a while, um, if they have a longer-term relationship, what may happen is they start out as, look at, see if you had your hands out and just kind of like a full arm span. That's, that's all the areas in that discovery period that you can talk about. And then, over the years, you make decisions. I'm not going to talk about that because, I'm not going to talk about that because, so on and so forth. And it gets more and more narrow to the point is, after you've been together with, some time, with, with someone for some time, there's only the safe things left to talk about. Um, and, uh, of course, you can get on a plane and go someplace or whatever and sit next to someone and tell them your life story. That's easy. You're not going to have to see them again. But to be able to really be open with someone and then wake up with them the next morning and face them, that's where it's at. That's right. And, you know, like you said in your book, uh, having a safe place, you know, is, is some things just aren't safe. After a while, you start to learn that if you bring up certain things that hit certain hot buttons. Um, you talked about some people have real unrealistic expectations in, in their relationships. Um, I'd like you to talk about that a little bit. Well, um, first of all, I guess a big expectation. Um, someone else isn't going to make you happy. I mean, there may be plenty of expectations that people have that are unrealistic, but that's the mother of all expectations. And that is, someone isn't going to make you happy. That's up to you. There are people who are alone. That is, they're not in a relationship, and they can be happy. And there are plenty of people in relationships that are miserable. And... Um, they can blame the relationship, they can blame this, they can blame that, but we're in charge of our own happiness. So there are other expectations in terms of someone taking care of you and, and various other things, but the main thing, they all stem from someone else making you happy. If you start taking responsibility for your own happiness, your life is going to change. That's right, and sometimes you, you just have to put your heart out there and um, you talked about when someone's judgmental or harsh or, you know, says you're a jerk for feeling a certain way or, uh, you know, saying a certain thing or, you know, a lot of times I would just close up on my wife because, you know, something was unsafe or it, it was it was just, I just didn't want to fight. And you said something about being somebody buying your act. I've been in sales for a lot of years. And one of the things I could do with my wife is I could sell my wife, you know. I could sell her on the fact that it was kind of a yes, dear, but more of a, you know, an elaborate yes, dear, where I could sell her on, on the fact that I was okay with everything that was going on when I wasn't. Yeah, well, you see, Russ, also, I think part of the difficulty is uh, some people are really, really good at being full of crap. <laughs> and, and actually, I, you know, I laugh at that, but the thing about it is that uh, it's harder for them. They're, because they're so good at it, their, their defense system, their, um, their, their game plan works well for them, um, it, or it seems to work well for them. I mean, they're, gonna, they're, gonna, um, they're living an inauthentic life, and they're, there's going to be a price for that. But from day to day, um, it seems like it's working for them. And people who don't have as good a defense system, in a way, who fumble and who aren't as smooth in talking and so on, those people actually, they may get better faster because they're going to hit bottom faster. Right. That's right. You talk about the emotional termites in your book that kind of undermine and go down to the, the root of, of love itself and, and eat away at it. 
you know, that's uh, the thing about it is the things that happen in a relationship that are going to make or break it, generally speaking, do not make a good movie. There are things that are just everyday kinds of things. We live our life one day at a time. And the emotional termites, but that is, there's a little little bite there, a little bite there, and now over a period of time, perhaps counted in years, the foundation's going to crack. And there are things that have to do with uh, one of my other books, um, um, Broken Promises, Mended Hearts. Um, it's about... Um, trust, but it's not about the kind of trust that makes the headlines like infidelity. It's more like the everyday kinds of things where you have these um, what appear to be innocent lies. But over a period of time, those are the things that create distance between people. And um, um, those are the things that are more dangerous because they're sneaky. It's sort of like um, high blood pressure. You know, you don't feel it and all of a sudden you have a stroke. But these little things, these everyday kinds of things can be as well. Yeah, people just, uh, you know, like you said, people just don't want to do real life a lot of times and they can cover up, uh, you know, put band-aids on the surface of that. And You know, you're so right. And there's something that, that I have to address uh, coming from a Christian standpoint. There's a lot of folks who are listening to this show that come from churches and, and people can put their church face on and, and use the Bible to justify, you know, controlling someone else or something. And it, uh, those people just really need to, to learn what the books actually says and actually be real with their relationships. It is so important that we are not putting on some kind of a facade for the rest of the world. Yeah, and let me just take that, you know, a step further in terms of the facade. Um, there is that public face, the church face, and so on. But um, here's what, what goes on. Here's the underlying struggle. And that is that really um, the lack of courage that people have to be genuine, to be authentic, has to do with a lack of self-acceptance. And self-acceptance, I mean, that we need to both know ourselves and accept ourselves and kind of embrace ourselves, actually, with um, blemishes and all. We, um, As long as we're trying to hide ourselves, we're never going to be known and we're not going to get well because it's not the only thing, but the statement of... Um, of um, the truth will set you free. Well, it's one of the things that will set you free. And um, the, the work that we need to do is to accept ourselves. In other words, if I'm out there and I'm just um, emotionally naked and someone tells me, well, you know, that's, that's not so good, whatever that that is, um, it may not be. I can't wait until I'm perfect till I show myself off because I'm going to die without really being open to people. And... I'm not talking about being um, uh, rude or unkind. I'm just talking about being yourself, and uh, some people are going to reject that. Right. And it's up to you, though, to accept yourself, even if uh, some of those qualities, you agree, those qualities are, are not um, terrific, but they're part of you. It's a matter of accepting the sinner, we'll put that in quotes, right. 
even if you don't you may not be accepting the sin but you're accepting the sinner you have to accept yourself and that acceptance of yourself is what gives you the courage to be open because otherwise you're, if you're not accepting yourself you're afraid to show something because if it's not accepted you won't accept yourself and you don't want to deal with that pain so that's the underlying process of self-acceptance which is a struggle, and most of us are going to spend, it's not something you do over the weekend. It's going to take, it's, it's over, it's a long period of time where you become more and more accepting and more comfortable in your own skin. That takes some time, but that's one of our important life journeys. And you can tell people who accept themselves, they practically walk different. They have a certain, they, they seem grounded. They're just, you know, you're, you're comfortable about it around a person who's comfortable with themselves and usually not comfortable around a person who's not comfortable with themselves. I mean, that's all some things that we, we don't necessarily always put words to it, but we have these feelings when we're around people. This person is either full of crap or this person's not comfortable with themselves. You can see that. And there's some people who you just feel, you feel safe with because you know that person is authentic. They're really there. That's right. And some of the best healing I did, Dr. Block, I, I sat in a group. I went to a, a couples group, and I had left the church for probably six years. And I was just totally blown out by church people because I got totally turned off by the whole fakeness of the church. So many people in the church are, are fake. And I found a church that had a, actually had real people in it. And I went to this marriage group, and I remember thinking to myself, I'm just going to sit here in this group, and I'm going to be me, and I'm going to be real. And I'll bet you I just blow all these people out of the water because they're not going to be able to deal with who I am. But And they did, and they totally accepted who I was. You know, I came with this rock and roll kind of attitude with my leather jacket and all this slack-jawed type of thing. But that's when I really started to heal is when I was really able to get in a group like that with people and be intimate with people with who I really was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I'll tell you something. I um, married a long time. At the early part of my marriage, <laughs> uh, my wife and I were in a couples group. Before that, first of all, I'm, I'm still married and um, same, per same person. And even when we weren't getting along, and to this day, um, where we do get along, but I still, I considered my wife, and still consider my wife, the nicest person I've ever met. And what happened was, is that we were in this couples group, because I had, she had, my wife had gone on a trip, and um, we weren't getting along, and, um, you know, I come from this family of divorce and so on, I thought, gee, if I get divorced, what, I'm going to be another, I'm going to be a heel. She, so she took a plane trip out west, and um, I thought to myself, gee, if the plane crashed, wouldn't that make it better? <laughs> in the sense that, um, you know, I'd be now sort of this poor guy as opposed to a villain. So I'm in this couples group, and um, and I would never. I felt very, very ashamed of that, of having that thought. And um, in the couples group, one of the people there says, "You know, yeah, I had the thought about my uh, partner dropping dead." Then another person says, and finally, I had the courage to say, "You know what? Uh, I had that thought, and God, that I feel." terrible about having that thought but you know it's it's not um look i'm not playing the killer or something it's just that it's it's a very difficult thought to have about someone and especially someone who you really felt was nice even though you weren't getting along with them um and uh, it was one of my little secrets and it, hearing someone else say it i felt you know what okay uh i'm not so bad <laughs> right and that's getting out those those little secrets out in the open and and discussing it and, and really looking at the, like you, like you say in your book, the uh, the good, the bad, and the, the very bad. Mm-hmm. 
And you know what? Also, um, one of the things I say about secrets is that, um, in general, um, the person who you have the secret with, you are closer to, or brings you closer, and the person who you have the secret from creates distance. Now, it happens to be the person that your, you know, your wife, your husband, that you have the secret from, and you have a secret with some other person, that um, is not a good thing in terms of intimacy. Uh, so the, the moral of that little story is, um, and, you know, it's, it's not an easy thing to do, but that is um, live your life in a way that you don't have to have secrets. Um, you know, my life, I mean, I'm, you know, been around for a while now, and um, uh, I've, I feel if I felt, if my life was on the front page of the newspaper in terms of this is what happened to uh, me today and yesterday and last year and the year before, it's fine. Um, it may be a little bit boring, but I'd rather that than the old excitement. Right. <laughs> I know, I know, I know that you know what I mean. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's just that, it's just that, um, uh, I like the idea of my life being an open book. When the phone rings or the mail comes or someone comes to the door, I don't have to have, um, you know, an anxiety attack. You know, I'm not in any trouble and, you know, um, it used to be that I used to think uh, the way I lived my life when I was younger, um, that um, I wake up in the morning, I look around, if I'm not in the hospital, I'm not in jail, hey, this could be a good day. <laughs> <laughs> but, now, but now I feel like, you know, I don't, I've kind of come a long way. I don't think that way anymore. Right. Uh, Not having the, uh, uh, the skeleton to bounce out of the closet, so to speak. Right, right. And uh, if I'm uh, looking for excitement, I have found that there are things I can do that are productive, that are exciting. I can challenge myself in terms of whether I'm writing a new book or I'm doing this or I'm doing that. Whatever it is, um, uh, one, I think it's, I, I like, I love the idea that I do the kind of things that are helpful to people. And um, secondly, that um, I find challenges that are exciting and that stretch me and that um, are, um, are, are good things to do as opposed to things to do that are challenging and exciting but are problematic. Right. I heard a guy say, uh who does couples therapy, he says that uh, a lot of counselors are afraid to do couples therapy because, you know, people get up and you get a couple in there and it's very unpredictable and somebody will stand up and start screaming and yelling and he says that uh, in those situations at least you know that there's something to work with there because, it, it's not, you know, the, the opposite of love is not hate. It's apathy. You know, it's just, I don't really care anymore. Yeah, you, you know, you're right about that. Also, it's interesting you mentioned that because... Um, my job at the hospital is specifically um, training staff and um, the uh, psychology doctoral interns at the, at the end of their five years of um, graduate training um, in couple therapy. And um, um, a lot of them are very scared to have two people in the room who knows what's going to happen and so on. And, um, and that is, uh, that sometimes can get, um, you know, uh, a little bit, um, I wouldn't say scary, but a little bit out of control it occurs but on the other hand the point that you're making which is true if you get a couple that come in and there's just and you can feel there's just no energy between them and they've buried so much stuff and they um, they don't really fight it's just that they, they're living separately together right. 
be that could be more difficult because they need kind of like an, almost like an inner explosion to loosen things up and start getting some energy between the two of them. Um, it's sort of like uh, the other couple has too much energy between them. It's negative energy, and this couple, um, they're. Um, I can just feel it sit, them sitting in front of me. It feels like uh, um, it's it's like it's a little bit of an icy feeling in the room. Right. Uh, that's true. But uh, but there are a lot. But it's interesting. You mentioned there are a lot of um, therapists that um, are um, are a little bit afraid to have um, a couple in the room because if they have one person, it's just them and that one person, and um, it's and they have a feeling of more control. But with a couple, you kind of like never know what's going to happen, and that's and that's true. And I've had some situations that are, um, you know, some doors doors slamming and screaming and whatever. Uh, it's almost like you you have to get there at a certain point. You talk about withdrawal and, and me with the uh, porn addiction. I I think that to a certain extent, I was kind of living that life. I was I was living separate with my wife. I was like being the single guy in a marriage and uh, you know not opening up to her and I, and I had totally withdrawn and, and you know you talk about that in your book just withdrawal 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 until pretty soon I was just pretty my heart was just pretty much shut down I mean mm-hmm. I had this crusty wall around my heart and I wasn't going to let her in and you know I would just like you said just exist yeah you know also um, the, the thing about it is that um um, one that's kind of common. It's kind of a, it's um, uh, it's it's kind of an emotional divorce. But the other thing that that I find is that um, interestingly, people fight about the wrong things, and the absolute right thing to fight about, they tend to withdraw. So let me give you an example. You know, people can get, have a big fight, and I've seen it even about something as silly as, well, you know, who's doing the dishes, or how come you didn't do the dishes, or whatever, you know, some some functional thing around the house. And I have some big fight. Usually the fight gets to be worse than whatever it was that started it. And then there's another situation. That situation is um, one person just said something very personal, very much from the heart, and the other person puts it down. What's supposed to happen at that critical moment is that the person who who reveals themselves has to say, hey, time out, and really make a point of that in terms of like, if I'm going to share my heart with you, you've got to consider that as a gift. Right. And they have to work that out. Because if they don't, that's one of those examples I gave you earlier where the person will say, okay, I'm never going to say that again, I'm never going to do that again, so on and so forth, and they keep doing that. Before you know it, they're living a separate life. So right at that moment is a critical moment. Don't withdraw, don't retreat. At that point, you've got to get to the, and you've got to get it settled. You can't just say something. You have to have an agreement. Listen, if I reveal my heart to you, um, you don't have to necessarily agree with me because I don't feel that, I don't feel that couples owe each other agreement. What they do owe each other, it's an obligation of a relationship, is understanding. Um, They need to understand each other. So if I reveal something, that person can't say, well, that's stupid, if that doesn't show understanding. They They need to listen carefully, give me the gift of listening, and really understand what I'm saying. They don't have to agree with, but they need to understand. They owe me that. And I'm telling you that 9 out of 10 
10 people. When that occurs, they feel hurt, they withdraw. Right. They're, they're ready to fight about the dishes, but not about this, and that's the big mistake. They're fighting about the wrong thing and not fighting when they really should be. And I don't mean fighting in terms of combat, but I mean that they really should be speaking up about it instead of withdrawing. Whenever you find yourself withdrawing in a relationship, you better remind yourself you're heading toward divorce. Because that's where withdrawal eventually leads if you keep doing it. Right, and that's what, I, that's what I've been doing on a, on a regular basis is really trying to engage my wife now instead of disguising my heart or covering my heart up. And I remember being in, in the couples therapy, and I would, like, wait because I was so locked up. And I would wait until we got into couples therapy to talk about my own my own heart issues because I was so afraid to bring it up in front of her without him around to coach the whole thing which was, mm-hmm. was kind of weird and he said and he gave me some great advice that, that you just were saying that was uh, stop using words like you and I and start using <laughs> words like help me understand you know and instead of instead of pointing the finger say help me understand your heart and where you're coming from in the situation and that helped me out tremendously yes that's a good phrase mm-hmm. instead of him being uh, you know like the coach <laughs> having to coach our arguments because I was going to pay you know 80 bucks a session to go in and, and have uh, this guy coach our our fights mm-hmm. yeah and um, so that's um, I mean that's in terms of um, openness I think uh, I'm happy with with the book Naked Intimacy I think it's the um, I think it really is um, a book that really touches at the heart of what's what's going on with relationships or not going on with relationships. Um, I think that the people who are, by the way, the people who are open with each other, this doesn't mean that they have a nice, quiet, everything is sweet relationship. Um, openness also can be, um, you know, pretty feisty in terms of um, what happens between people, but it's a lively relationship. It's kind of like, I believe in whether it be some, some kinds of medicines or what have you, is that energy, energy healing, is very very important, and there's a certain energy between people who are open with each other. They have their own, that energy themselves because they're not blocking the energy through their secrets and don't talk about this and their inhibitions and all this kind of thing. Um, and if you have two people who aren't blocking that with themselves or with each other, then you have a very bright, vibrant, lively relationship, and it's much different than the typical long-term relationship. I see a lot of long-term relationships, you know, and I'm talking about 40 years. It could be that, too, but it could be much shorter, you know, a few years even. And these people seem so bored with each other. Um, um, you know, it's um, because they've they've um, really kind of, um, um, you know, negated, taken out anything that's not boring. They've chosen to play it safe, which is... They don't realize it, but very risky. Right, and there's something extremely sexual about being open with your partner. I think it's what they call, you hear a lot of people talk about makeup sex and how makeup sex is so great, and I think that's why, isn't it? Well, you know, that's interesting that you mentioned that also in the sense that uh, that could be, but the other part of it is just having a conversation. Uh, it doesn't have to necessarily be sexualized, but just having a conversation with someone. It could be two heterosexual men, for example, um, having a conversation and really talking from the heart. And um, it's, em- it's an emotionally connective. Um, and in general, though, 
openness can be erotic because it is kind of sexy getting undressed with someone emotionally. That is getting undressed with someone but your clothes are on. And part of it is also, again, it doesn't have to be sexualized, but it is, it draws people closer. You know, um, any real love relationship, it's not about, even though kids are certainly extremely important, but it's not about co-parenting because people can be divorced and co-parent. It's not about, um, um, you know, sharing the finances because uh, roommates could do that. The real thing that sets that kind of relationship off from other relationships is the emotional connection that intimate connection and um, a lot of people don't have that and um, it, we can be talking about this as if it's so simple but think of it this way half the people who are married are going to get divorced that's just the, the statistic on it 50% of the half that remain probably half of them would like to get divorced they can't afford it they're afraid um, they're staying for the kids whatever it is so there's only one quartile 25% left so you have, you, you really have to take a relationship seriously because you have a one in four chance of surviving. Who would go into elective, sur elective surgery where you had one in four chance of surviving? I look at it this way, and I, I don't consider this negative. I consider it realistic. Being in a, in a long-term relationship, married or not, is like having a car parked on a hill. If you're not in forward gear, you're going south. Right. That's just the way it is. You've got to be in forward gear. People, one of the things is people think, oh, you get married or, or you're in a relationship and you have that commitment, it's over. No, no, no. It's not over. Every day is a challenge. That's right. You have to continually work at it. And uh, you, I guess you have a book coming out now that you're working on that has to deal with uh, people at work. I mean, people in, in, in stressful work situations. And I, I face that. I own a couple of businesses and, and just being able to do relationship in spite of our, our work, whether it's passionate or not, you know, what, what we're what we're doing and keeping the, that relationship going uphill, so to speak. Yeah, you know, what I did was, I did this book for, for people, and I, I made this, this up, this isn't a real disorder, but I, I call it TBD, too busy disorder. Now, particularly here in the Northeast, um, people are very, very busy. And what I try to do is I try to come up with some ways of thinking about a relationship that don't cost you more time. It's a matter of attitude. So um, I have like 10 strategies. I'll give you um, one or two. One of them, the first one is commitment. Now, you know, if you're in business, commitment is a real, real big part of being successful. People underappreciate that. But here's how I look at commitment. Do you want to view your partner lovingly or not? Are you for your partner or against your partner? Now, I know this sounds like strange questions, but many people in relationships are literally enemies. They put a negative spin on each other, just as enemies do. If you decide you want to love your partner, you must decide to intentionally view him or her lovingly. It's a matter of how you're going to look at things. You know, we have like a real close friend who we like very much, and a friend screws up a little bit. We try to we try to put a spin on it in terms of, well, your friend's going through a divorce, your friend's having business problems or whatever. You try to think of things in a way that's compassionate. And by the way, all religions, every religion on the planet that's a legitimate religion, the bottom line, the fundamental thing that they have in common is compassion. Now, people don't necessarily express that. There are a lot of people who say they're religious, but if you look at them and how they be behave towards people, they're not religious. I'm talking about 
commitment is a way of looking at your person who you say you love with compassion. Right. And then, and then, is, um, then there's just talking. You have a choice every time you say something to your partner. You can say something that will either improve the relationship or tear it down. And I suggest say what you mean, but don't say it mean. And these are things that you can be a very busy person. You can have several businesses running and so on and so forth. This doesn't take more time. This is your attitude, how you are with your partner when you're with your partner. And that makes a big difference because there are people who have plenty of time on their hands and uh, it gives them a lot more time to make some really bad mistakes in terms of how they deal with their partners. That's right, and a lot of it can be just judgmentalism towards their partner and towards their heart and where they're at at a certain point in their life. It's like, you know, and a lot of a lot of Christian folks will do this. They'll they'll take they'll use the Bible for example, and I can just you know hear some of the emails you know people saying, you know, well, we're our foundation of our marriage is based on the Bible or based on you know whatever, and and almost using the Bible as it, justifying controlling the other person, and and something that that uh, you said. And, that strikes me that, that Jesus said was, you know, before you take the speck out of your mate's eye, once you put the, pull the log out of your out of your own eye, it's like you can't even see what's going on in that person's life until you can get past whatever the heck your judgment is over over you know what you're busy or not. You know, it's like we we try and we try and control the other person into into our way of thinking into our own heart and it just doesn't work that way you have to find out where they're coming from first before you can interject your own judgment on them well there's a couple of things that 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 strike me when you say that russ one um part of it has to do with honoring the differences there are people who have say have been married 60 years they're living in retirement someplace and it's still bickering. That bickering, if you really look into it, is one person saying to the other person, see it my way, and the other person saying, no, see it my way. That's what the, that's what the undercurrent of their bickering is. Now, the thing about it is that after 60 years of being together, they haven't realized they're not supposed to see it the same way. They're two different people. So a lot of us have differences. That's where control comes in and so on. A lot of us have differences with with people that we're close to because we don't accept that they are different and that they're allowed to view the world through different lenses. It's the way it's supposed to be. Um, and if you want the person to think, behave, and feel the way you feel, you're going to have a rough time ahead because you're really not going to you're really not going to have love in your life. You might have a person who's compliant, but people, you honor people by allowing them to be who they are, not trying to make them in your own image. What a lot of us have had is we've grown up as children, as, as, a, as a child, a small child, you, you're the smallest voice in the family, and you are looking to them, their, their validation, their approval, because your, your well-being depends on it. But as an adult and in an in a, in a, in a adult relationship, it's your second chance to be yourself. It gives you an opportunity. You don't necessarily have that as a child. This doesn't mean you have bad parents. It's just the nature of childhood is that you, um, you want to get the approval 
and live and to be who they who you think they uh, envision that you should be that is your parents who they think you should be but as an adult you need to find out who you are and be your own person and hopefully you live with a person who um, who's going to honor that so that's that's a real big factor with people that they don't realize that um, they give they give the other person room to be themselves right. not, to be, not to be who you think they should be but by who they think they should be <laughs> you know and that's, that's um, like the definition of a relationship isn't it yes and the other part of it is also is that um, uh, um, people who tend to be judgmental um, are people who are who have a long long way to go in terms of their own self acceptance because as a person becomes more and more comfortable with themselves they become more and more compassionate and uh, are um, um, much more understanding of other people as they are making peace with themselves the people who are judgmental um, are usually their own worst enemies that's right they just can't see past uh past their own judgmentalism, so to speak. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Blanc, for being on the show. I encourage everyone to get the book, Naked Intimacy. Um, like I say, I've been in a, a lot of, talked to a lot of people, been in a lot of groups dealing with the, the issue of uh, sexual dysfunction, if you will, as far as uh, pornography addiction and stuff like that. And that is kind of one of the things that I hear over and over again is intimacy and, and not being able to be oneself. And, and it kind of goes back almost subconsciously back to this compulsive sexual behavior. And uh, I, I, I just encourage everyone to get this book. Um, don't put it off. Don't think about it. Don't sit there and I'll get it tomorrow or something. You know, the more you think about it, the more you procrastinate this stuff, the more you uh, let the car roll back down the hill the other way. So, again, I just want to encourage folks to, to check out this book. And uh, Dr. Block, if, if you could, I'd like you someday to, to come on the show again and talk about the other book about uh, um, healing mended hearts and, you know, broken it's, uh, hearts. It's broken promises, mended hearts. It's, um, yes, I will do that. And uh, if people uh, want to get the book, they can go to... Um, they can go to Amazon, certainly, but they can get it through my website, which is, has a link to Amazon. It's uh, drblock.com, simple, D-R-B-L-O-C-K.com, drblock.com. And, Russ, it was a pleasure speaking to you. It really was. I enjoyed speaking with you. Thank you so much. And it's uh, okay. and I have a link to your website. I'll have a link to your website on mine. It's uh, digitalaudioproject.com slash ASI. Uh, send me an email, russ at digitalaudioproject.com. Uh, visit Dr. Block's website. And uh, thanks again, Dr. Block, and I hope to have you on the show again. Okay. Look forward to it. Bye. Thanks for listening today. I want to leave you with a song. It's by the Foo Fighters. It's called Best of You. The song reminds me of someone who uh, maybe wants to do intimacy, but just doesn't quite know how. It's a great song. Best of you.